Welcome to another instalment of the Cause Essential ESG podcast being brought to you from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. My name's Phoebe Winpope and I'm the Head of Responsible Business and ESG at Cause Chambers Westgarth and joining me today is a Senior Associate in our Responsible Business team, Joshua Aird. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me, Phoebe. Josh, today we're going to talk about this increasing emphasis that there is on the need for project proponents to secure free prior and informed consent or FPIC as they're developing their projects on traditional lands of Indigenous people, not only in Australia but also in around the world. And we've seen that the demands for the protection of cultural heritage of First Nations people and the recognition of their rights has really increased expectations that FPIC will be incorporated into project planning, into the development and lending and investment decisions. And I thought it would be really helpful to have a discussion about what FBIC is, uh, where it's come from, and uh, to really delve deep into understanding this very critical issue for project proponents going forwards. So can you start us off, Josh, and just tell us a little bit about FPIC? What is it? FPIC is really an international human rights principle And it's derived from the right to self-determination and the right to be free from racial discrimination. Self-determination is a really fundamental right of all people and is enshrined in Article 1 of both the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and the International Covenant of Economic, Social and Cultural Rights. And the right has been expanded in the context of Indigenous peoples in the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and various ILO conventions to really reflect the fact that FPIC, or Free Prior Informed Consent, is a way for Indigenous peoples to realise the right to self-determination. So when we're talking about Free Prior and Informed Consent, there's obviously those four elements in it. Can you just run us through those and what they actually mean? Because it's not as self-evident, I don't think, as as people might think at first glance. Yeah, that's right. So FBIC has both procedural and substantive requirements and should really be considered in a holistic way rather than a checkbox exercise. That being said, it is always still helpful to break down the component elements of, of FPIC. So obviously we've got free, which means that any consent that's provided by Indigenous or First Nations group should be provided free from coercion, manipulation, but also with sufficient time to allow for engagement and discussion in a culturally appropriate manner. Prior means that obviously consultation must begin before any impact on the right to self-determination has occurred. Uh, Informed means that consent should be obtained and informed by accurate, timely and sufficiently detailed information, but also that information should be provided in a way that can be easily understood. So that would include in local language, oral communication, perhaps a whole range of different avenues for communication to ensure that things are are properly understood. That's right. We've also seen instances in which um, site visits are undertaken um, with uh, Indigenous representatives to be able to really show them on the ground what's going to happen to particular areas. 
Uh, and finally, uh, we have consent. And this is always uh, a bit of a sticking point. Consent is not a moment in time. Um, consent should be obtained by culturally appropriate decision-making processes, but it's also ongoing. Consent should be obtained but also retained throughout the process of the project. So often that means that a process needs to be built in all the way throughout the life of the project, doesn't it? It's not just a ticker box, we've got consent, it's done, but that that ongoing consultation needs to be undertaken throughout the life of the project. That's right, and sometimes that can be a bit jarring when we think about normal uh, formulation of contracts in the business world, where once you've got the contract, uh, you just get on with it. That's that's not the case here. It's a situation of constant engagement um, with the appropriate representative bodies. So can you tell us when FPIC is actually required? So there are specific situations where uh, international agreements um, require FPIC to be um, obtained, but there's also some tension between domestic legislation, uh, those international agreements, and stakeholder expectations. So guidance can be taken from uh, UNDRIP, or the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, which requires FPIC uh, in five distinct circumstances. Uh, when relocating Indigenous peoples from their land, uh, when cultural, intellectual, religious and spiritual property is impacted, um, when adopting and implementing legislative or administrative measures that may affect Indigenous populations, uh, in relation to the storage and disposal of, of hazardous materials on customary lands, and which is probably the most relevant for the clients that we've been advising, and that's prior to approval of any project affecting the lands or territories of Indigenous peoples. But as I said before, it's really important to remember that the principle of FPIC is a way for Indigenous and First Nations people to realise the right of self-determination, and the right to self-determination applies in more than just those five circumstances. So it really is a principle that people should be keeping in mind whenever engaging with Indigenous and First Nations groups. In the Australian context, the expectations have expanded and there's, there's a number of um, different resources that are available. Could you tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah, so because of the complexities we've already discussed, there are several industry-based standards that seek to articulate both the content of FPIC, the free prior informed consent, and when FPIC is required by organisations in different sectors. Because of the nature of the sector, we've seen a lot of engagement from the energy and resources sector, but we're increasingly seeing um, advice and information come from the finance and superannuation sectors. Um, both the Australian Council of Superannuation Investors uh, and the Responsible Investment Association of Australasia have released guidance on engaging with First Nations peoples and setting the expectation that investors and investee companies uh, will really commit to respecting First Nations peoples' rights and cultural heritage in accordance with UNDRIP and the principle of FPIC. There's also been a number of inquiries about UNDRIP and the application of UNDRIP in Australia and what that means. There's been lots of stakeholders have been providing submissions to those inquiries and 
Uh, they're feeding into a whole range of different reforms that are coming about, you know, in environmental protection and biodiversity reforms, for example. Could you take us through some of those, Josh? Following the events at Duke and Gorge and the destruction of Indigenous heritage sites, the government has committed to developing new laws in partnership with First Nations people that draw on uh, the final report of the um, Senate Standing Committee. In addition, there is a separate Senate inquiry into implementing UNDRIP into Australian law. And key submissions have called for the government to review existing legislation, not only for consistency with UNDRIP, but also the challenges of implementing UNDRIP in the existing legislative regimes. So the Commonwealth Government has also announced its Nature Positive Plan late last year as part of broader reforms to the EPBC Act or the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. The the intent of this plan is to really improve and expand the protection of biodiversity in Australia and it includes the development of a national environmental standard for First Nations engagement and participation in decision-making Um, It also introduces standalone cultural heritage legislation to replace the existing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Heritage Protection Act. So that standard will aim to embed FPIC principles consistent with UNDRIP into the standard and also empower that active participation in decision-making and greater consideration of First Nations land, freshwater and sea management knowledge and, and also to create additional regulatory requirements for project proponents and investors to satisfy, won't it? That's absolutely right. And it's an increasing trend that we're seeing from ministers of the Labor government is engaging uh, fully with uh, First Nations groups on these particular issues. And now litigation. We're beginning to see this issue start to raise its head in the courts. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? We're seeing FPIC as a real avenue for challenge uh, for project permits at the moment. In particular, where consultation has not been sufficient with local Indigenous and First Nations groups, uh, they're seeking to challenge the grant of project permits or approvals uh, on that basis. And we've really seen a willingness of the courts to engage in FPIC principles and existing consultation obligations. We expect that these types of challenges and the willingness of the court to engage FPIC or FPIC-like arguments is going to increase into the future. So with all of this, Josh, with the inquiries, with the government bringing FPIC principles into different kinds of legislation, like the Nature Positive Plans and so on, the increasing amount of guidance available and the courts taking interest in free prior and informed consent, what does it all mean going forward? What do organisations need to be thinking about? It's such a fast-paced and dynamic environment that Businesses really need to be reviewing and assessing their organisational understanding, but also implementation of FPIC, not only against UNDRIP, but also stakeholder expectations. This will assist them to protect against project delays, increase litigation risk, and commercial and reputational damage. There's certainly a lot to think about here. Josh, you've given us a great whiz around the world of FPIC. Thank you very much. Anytime, Phoebe. 
This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal or other advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances.